Last week, we began our new series in the book of Ephesians, and I mentioned that the the subtitle of our series is The Grace of God in Christ in the Life of the Church. And so throughout this series, we're going to see that an understanding of God's grace in Christ empowers the church to live Christ-like lives in a broken and sinful world. And uh, last week, we saw how Paul He just breaks out in praise to God for all these spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, like election and adoption and redemption and this glorious inheritance that is coming our way and and the fact that we are sealed by the Spirit the second we are saved. And so the response to all these blessings that we have in Christ should be praise to God. And in our passage this morning, Paul moves from praise to prayer. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe." according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that your word is truth. We believe that the Bible is your breathed out word, that it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness so that we would be equipped for every good work. Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would give us understanding this morning, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to see the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And Lord, help us not only to be hearers of your word, but also doers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, have you ever stopped to think about how you pray for other members in this church? Do you pray for them? And if you do, what do you pray for them? Do you only pray when you hear that someone has a specific prayer request for something practical? Or do you take moments to thank God for others, for who they are becoming in Jesus? 
Do you pray for their spiritual needs? That they would grow in Christ, that they would grow in the knowledge of God and his word. While he was imprisoned for faith in Bedford, England, John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, wrote this little book on prayer. And he begins this book with his definition of prayer. He says, prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate, pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Spirit for such things as God has promised or according to his word for the good of the church with submission in faith to the will of God. That may be one of the best definitions of prayer. And this is the kind of prayer that we see Paul praying for the Ephesian church in this passage. He thanks the Lord for them and then he prays that they would grow in their knowledge of God and that the Spirit would give them spiritual sight, that they would see the spiritual blessings that they have in Christ. I think if we're honest, we don't tend to pray those types of prayers. We don't tend to take the time to pray for the spiritual growth of our brothers and sisters. And yet we should. And so I, I hope that as we consider this passage this morning, that the Lord works in our hearts and helps us to grow in this area. Paul makes it a priority to pray for the spiritual needs of others, and we should as well. I've divided this sermon into three sections. In verses 15 to 16, we see a prayer of thanksgiving. And then in verse 17, we see a prayer for knowing God. And then in verses 18 to 23, we see a prayer for spiritual sight. A prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer for knowing God, and a prayer for spiritual sight. And the main point is simply this. Our blessings in Christ should move us to pray for the spiritual needs of one another. Our blessings in Christ should move us to pray for the spiritual needs of one another. Right? Our blessings in Christ, like we learned last week, should move us to praise God. And yet, as we're praising God, they should also move us to pray for the spiritual needs of others. And the first thing we see is Paul praying a prayer of thanksgiving. Look at verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul says, for this reason. He has just listed off all these spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. He begins this letter by praising God for all the things that we have because of what Christ has done. And now this leads him to praying for the Ephesians and thanking God for them. 
And remember, Paul is in prison in Rome, far away from the church at Ephesus. But he's getting reports about how the church is doing. And the report that he gets causes him to give thanks to God for these Christians in Ephesus. But what is it that he gives thanks to God for? Is it because the church at Ephesus is the largest church in the area? Is it because they have the most programs and the largest budget? No. What excites Paul is that he hears that the members of this church were living out their faith in Christ in a culture that was very much opposed to them and loving one another. Again, look at verse 15. Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. That's what moves him to praise God for them. And he rightly gives thanks to God for this because God alone can can do this in the lives of other people. Faith in Christ and love for others is not something that I have in myself naturally. Naturally, we reject God and we only think about ourselves. And so this report of the faith and the love of the Ephesians is evidence of the supernatural grace of God at work in their lives. And Paul gives thanks for them and he remembers them in his prayers. Now, how encouraging and humbling it must have been for the Ephesians to get this letter and to know that this apostle of Jesus Christ, who is definitely very busy, who is suffering in prison, constantly made time to thank God for them and pray for them. Paul is setting an example for the church at Ephesus and for us and how we should pray for other believers. He says here that he does not cease. Paul prayed unceasingly. He just didn't pray randomly, but he prayed regularly. So we should often pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. But Paul also prayed generously. His prayers weren't only for himself. He didn't pray just only for his needs, but he prayed for the needs of others. And he also prayed gratefully. His prayers had a heart of thankfulness towards God for what God was doing in the lives of other Christians. And this should make us think about how we respond when we hear of or see others trusting in Christ and loving his people. Because if we're honest, we often complain about other believers way quicker than we pray for them and thank God for them. The right response is to give thanks to God for them. And this is what Jesus prays for in John 17 that all his people would be one, just like he and the Father are one. That the world would know that the Father sent the Son because they see 
the believers in Christ having love for one another. So are you in constant prayer for your other brothers and sisters in this church? Are you praying prayers of thankfulness to God for them? Or do you only pray when you get a prayer request about some sort of emergency? Now, it's great that we're praying for others during times of crisis, but it should not be the only time that we pray for them. What a difference it would make if we were in the habit of thanking God for his grace in the lives of those around us. Here's a challenge to you. Pray through the membership directory. If you need help getting one, just email me and I'll get you one. Pray through the membership directory. Take what Paul says here and be praying on a daily basis for different members of this congregation. Pray prayers like, Lord, I thank you for the way that you're working in brother so-and-so. I can see that by your grace, he is showing so much faith in you. Or thank you for sister so-and-so and the way that she's raising her children. She's showing her commitment to the truth of your word and her trust in Jesus. Or thank you for brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. Their love for other Christians in need makes me want to grow in the area of loving the saints. Our church life would be transformed if we actually prayed for other believers and told them that we thanked God for them and that we were praying for them unceasingly. After telling the Ephesians that he was praying and thanking God for them, he also tells them what he was praying for. We saw a prayer of thanksgiving. Now we see a prayer for knowing God. Prayers reveal a lot about our faith. If you want to know what people truly believe, listen to how they pray. What does Paul pray for here? Look at verse 16. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. We first see who he prays to, right? The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. He is the Father of glory. He is the God who dwells in unapproachable light. But he is also the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who loved the world and gave his one and only Son, the one who did not spare his son, but delivered him up for us all. God is holy and righteous and is not to be trifled with, but he is also a God who is rich in mercy and kind to sinners. He's a God who we can come to with humble confidence, knowing that he will hear us 
and that he will answer us out of the overflow of his goodness and mercy. And notice that in this prayer, Paul is not praying a prayer for practical needs. No doubt the Ephesians had practical and physical needs, and I'm pretty sure the Apostle Paul would have been praying for those things as well. But in this prayer, Paul instructs the Ephesians and us what our greatest needs are. He prays for the weightier things, the things that are more important. And we see that Paul prays for the ministry of the Holy Spirit here, that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Now remember in the section before, Paul said that they were sealed with the Holy Spirit. They had the Holy Spirit. And so why is Paul praying here that God would give them the Spirit? Don't they already have it? Yes, they do, but there's always more that we lack and always more that we need. And so he's saying, yes, God has already done this for you. You have the Spirit, but now I'm praying to God that the Spirit will give you more. And look at what Paul prays that the Spirit will do. That God may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. He prays that God by the Holy Spirit would help them know God. Paul's primary desire for them is to know God better. That's what we need, to know the living God. God made me and he made you to know him. And he sent his son to the world to live a sinless life, to have a sin-bearing death and to rise from the dead in order that we would be restored into fellowship with him. And so the greatest blessing that anyone could experience is to know God and to know him better every day. Paul wrote in Ephesians 3.8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's sad we can acquire so much knowledge in our professional lives. And we can have so many friends and know them so well. And yet we settle for knowing God only superficially. That's why J.I. Packer wrote that book, Knowing God. We've got a couple copies of it in the back. None of us will ever know too much about God. And none of us will ever know enough about God. And this knowledge of God, this knowing God, it doesn't come mystically. You don't just all of a sudden have it. It comes from keeping ourselves in the word of God. That's where he reveals himself. That's where he speaks to his people. 
It comes from going to the throne of grace and praying to him. It comes from doing what we're doing right now, sitting under the ministry of the word and worshiping with his saints. It comes from ministering to one another, admonishing one another and encouraging one another. And so when we pray for other Christians, let's make sure that we pray that they and we may know God better. And that's a prayer that the Lord loves to answer. So let's pray for one another, that we would grow in the knowledge of him, that we would come to know God in greater and deeper ways. We have seen a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of, for knowing God, and then lastly, we see a prayer for spiritual sight. Not only does Paul pray that they would know God better, but he prays in verse 18 that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. He uses that phrase, the eyes of your hearts, to refer to the believer's ability to understand spiritual truths. What these Ephesians need is to have the eyes of their hearts enlightened so that they can see the spiritual realities that they cannot see on their own. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He illuminates the truth of God's word. And he gives us spiritual sight. And so what we need today is for the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened so that we can see what is already ours in Christ. And Paul prays that their spiritual vision would be improved regarding three things. Hope, riches, and power. Hope, riches, and power. Look at verse 18. Paul prays that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. We often don't think about it. We don't think about the, the hope, the hope that God has called us to. And we, we have kind of a misunderstanding of what hope is. Right? When we think about hope, we think about things in uncertain terms. Like, I, I really hope I get this job. Or I really hope things will work out so this will happen. Or when I'm ice fishing, I say, I really hope that this two inches of ice will hold me. That's how we tend to think of hope. But in the Bible, when God talks about hope, and here when, when Paul is talking about the hope of your calling, he's talking about something that is absolutely certain and sure. God has called you in Christ to an everlasting hope, real hope. The other night I was watching a, a TV show and one of the characters said, the only thing that is certain in this life is death. And for those outside of Christ, that's true. But for those who believe we have a hope that is certain. We have a hope that not even death 
can take away. There is a world to come, and you have been sealed for that. We have the promise of everlasting life. Before hearing and believing the gospel, we had no hope, and we were without God in the world. Those who don't believe in Jesus don't have real hope. But now, for those who do believe because of what Jesus did on the cross, we who once had no hope now have a sure hope, a certain hope. We have a hope because of our election. We were chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world. We have been redeemed. Our sins have been paid for by the blood of Jesus. God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we have this great promise of eternal life. Our future is certain. We will live with God forever. And so when we pray for others, especially those who may be going through difficult trials, we should not only pray that they would be delivered from those trials, but also pray that the Spirit would help them see the hope to which God has called them. Paul prays that they would see the hope of their calling, but he also prays for them to see the riches of the inheritance. Look again at verse 18. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, Paul has already mentioned an inheritance that is coming our way because we've been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And he's told us that the Spirit is the guarantee of that inheritance. But here, Paul is praying about something different. Paul is asking God that the Spirit would help us see not the inheritance that we're getting. You ready for this? This is awesome. Not to see the inheritance that we're getting, but to see that we are God's inheritance. Notice the words that Paul uses here. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Paul wants us to see that we are God's glorious inheritance. That should be shocking for us. God Almighty, who could have provided anything he wanted for his enjoyment in eternity, has chosen us. And his plan is for all eternity to enjoy our company and to shower us with blessings as his inheritance. We, we often rightly so talk about of our, our depravity, our sinfulness, our unworthiness. 
But we also rightly need to say that because of God's grace and because of what he's done in Jesus, he has made us his everlasting, glorious inheritance. Paul wants the eyes of our hearts to see that more importantly than us having an inheritance is that God would want to have us as his inheritance. More importantly than us not being ashamed of God is that God is not ashamed of us. Hebrews eleven sixteen says that God is not ashamed to be called our God. Think about it. He owns everything in heaven and on earth. But we are considered his treasured possession. And because this is so hard to believe, we should pray to God that by his spirit that he would help our brothers and sisters in Christ see that they are God's inheritance. Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to see the hope, the riches, and the power. Look at verse 19. Paul prays that we would see what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. If, if there was one thing that the Ephesians felt like they lacked, it was probably power. They were most likely small in number and marginalized in society, and the power of Rome was probably extremely intimidating. And yet Paul is praying that the Spirit would help these Christians see the power that is at work in them. He calls this power immeasurable. Immeasurable power. And he says that it's available to all. All who believe. Not only towards the strong, but also to the small and the weak. They all have this power at work in them and for them. I know that there's some of us in this room wondering, is there a power that can help me tame my tongue? Is there a power that can calm my anger? That can help me get rid of my bitterness? Is there a power that can remove my lustful thoughts and actions? Is there a power that can help me conquer sin that I continue to see in my life that I don't ever seem to get a hold of? And friends, the answer is yes. That's what Paul's talking about here. He points to three specific things that show us the immeasurable greatness of this power. And the first thing that Paul mentions is that this is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. How much power does it take to raise somebody from the dead? I don't know. A lot. A lot of power. Do you believe 
that God provides the same resurrection power to be at work in you. Because if we believe that, then when we're tempted, we can go to God and say, please work that power in me so that I do not give into this temptation, Lord. Or when he calls us to do things that seem impossible or very difficult, we can say, Lord, please give me that resurrection power in order to do what you have called me to do. You may find it hard to believe, but this death-conquering power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you if you believe in Jesus. And that's why Paul prays that the Spirit would enlighten the eyes of our hearts because it's hard to believe, but it's true. And and Paul doesn't stop there. He says that this power also seated Jesus at God's side. It not only raised Jesus from the dead, but it brought him up through the heavens to sit at the right hand of God to sit in the place of honor. Look at verse 21. Jesus is seated in the heavens far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. This power that is at work in us is also the power that places our Savior above all rulers and forces in this world. And it's the power that gives Jesus this position permanently, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And then Paul says in verse 22 that this power also put all things under his feet. Right now, when we look at our world, it doesn't seem like Jesus has dominion and rule, but he does. And one day, Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, everyone will see that Jesus is Lord. And Paul also tells us that Jesus is the head of the church and that the church is his body, which means that we're connected to him. If you think about it, the church from a worldly perspective is weak and small and humble. And yet Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is the head of the church. Paul says in Romans 8, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? We need to see that this power is at work in us. We have no reason to be overwhelmed by by the power of those who oppose the gospel. We have no reason to be overwhelmed by the temptations and sins that we see in our lives. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead 
which caused him to be seated at the right hand of God, which has given him authority over all things for the sake of his people is the same power that is at work in us. Paul prays that these Ephesians would see and believe that God has the power to answer our prayers, that God has the power to protect us, to overcome sin, and the power to keep us. That's why we should pray that the Spirit would enlighten the eyes of the hearts of our brothers and sisters in Christ. As we consider and praise God for the many spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus, I trust that the Lord will help us to grow in our thankfulness for others as we see their faith in Jesus and how they love other brothers and sisters. I also pray that we often would pray that the Spirit would help other brothers and sisters and us to know God better, right? To, to know the hope to which he has called us, to know God's riches, and to know the power which is at work in all of us who believe. Our blessings in Christ should move us to pray for the spiritual needs of one another. Let's pray. O God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, we feel our weakness, but we know our inadequacies. And we confess that we sometimes neglect prayer. And so we ask this morning that you would make us a church that is committed to praying for one another, thanking you for the work that you're doing in others' lives and praying that your spirit would help them to know you better and to help them see the amazing spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus to know what is the hope to which you have called us, what are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints. Lord, would you give us the same heart and conviction that Paul had, and would you help us to know the exceeding greatness of your power, that you worked in Jesus when you raised him from the dead and seated him at your right hand and put all things under his feet. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.